0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. And we're thankful for those that are uh, watching over online, overline online, whatever. I don't know how to say that. I think it's online. But thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you uh, get something from God's word that will be a blessing to you. If you have your bible if you have your copy of scripture please open with me to the gospel according to mark chapter number nine and i think if uh, nothing happens this will be the last message in chapter nine i've been in chapter nine for quite some time and we'll be focusing on the last two verses verses 49 and 50 before we read our scripture though let's Go again to the Lord in prayer and seek His enabling. Father, I confess to my utter inability to say or do anything of any spiritual value on my own. Left to myself just to say words, even true words, will have no effect unless you breathe life into them. Unless your power and anointing is on them. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth and I pray that you would bear witness with the truth this evening. And please, please stop me before I would say anything that would be misleading or untrue. Please, Lord, help us Understand your word and help us apply it. Please enable us that we might apply it to our lives and live it out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's read these two verses because they are very uh, difficult. I have really struggled with these verses and... uh, I have uh, read everything I could uh, get my hands on to read. I have uh, listened to commentaries. I've looked up definitions and things, and it's just uh, been difficult to uh, get this thing situated in my head. And then this morning during the teaching hour when Art was uh, teaching, sorry Art, but uh, it dawned on me. That it wasn't just about these two verses. You got the whole context here. And so this afternoon I jotted down everything that I I believe that I need to uh, share with us this evening or uh, at least what I had time to jot down. But verses 49 and 50 say these words. For everyone shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Now that phrase may not be in your translation. It's in the KJV and I think it's in the, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what others, there's one or two other translations that have it, but most translations do not have that phrase. And these, these words are uh, something that Mark shares that none of the other gospel writers do. There's some similarities, but this uh, passage is something that uh, that Mark is uh, is unique in carrying this. So he says, "For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt." Salt is good. Everybody say amen to that. Salt is good. Your cardiologist will probably disagree, but salt is good. But if salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. As I uh, said, many uh, many different opinions about this, and and I don't think I've ever uh, studied a passage of scripture that had more differing. Opinions and more options for what Jesus is saying here than this passage of Scripture, but uh, I believe that uh, that it is uh, talking about discipleship. I believe Jesus here is talking about discipleship. As a matter of fact, we have made the point uh, earlier in this study of chapter number 9, that Jesus has begun to focus on teaching his disciples. Is that right? He has begun to teach his disciples. It actually, uh, he actually begins to zero in on them in chapter 8 and verse 27, when he says, it says, and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man. And then he Begins to predict his death and burial and resurrection. And he begins to deal with this, uh, this thing of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Christ. When we talk about a disciple, now there were 12 special disciples that he had chosen. But all of his followers could properly be called disciples, couldn't they? And you and I could be called disciples of Jesus. We are learners. We sit at his feet and hear him and uh, study his teachings and seek to follow him. And so the uh, uh, followers of Jesus were being taught, especially the 12. He was pouring into them. And so uh, let me just go back through this, beginning in chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, and, and talk about what a true follower of Jesus Christ looks like. First of all, in verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, a follower of Jesus knows who Jesus really is. He knows who Jesus really is. This is not anything profound. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Chapter 8 verses 31 through 33. A true disciple of Jesus Christ glories in the cross of Christ. He glories in the cross of Christ. Now, this is something that the disciples were not ready to do. They didn't have room for a crucified Messiah in their thinking. And so they didn't have uh, uh, any, uh, any room for glorying in the cross where he said, he told them that he would be crucified, buried, and rise again. But now we know what that's all about. And we know what the glory of the cross is the cross of Jesus' sacrifice of His self. He is our prophet. He says, this is what I've come to do. This is what I've come to say. This is what I have come for, is to die on the cross. He's our priest because He offers a sacrifice acceptable to the Father and He is our uh, our sacrifice. He is the offering that he, as a priest, may. The priest in the Old Testament had to offer something else because this whole thing of substitution was just built into the sacrificial system. And Jesus now didn't have to substitute for himself. He substituted for us. He offered himself on the cross of Calvary as a sacrifice for our sin chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, the true disciple of Jesus Christ takes up the personal cross of self-denial. Read those verses when you get home. Write this stuff down and, and follow it along. And, and, uh, and we all need to apply it to our own hearts as well. Chapter number 9, verses 1 through 8, a true disciple of Jesus has spent time in the presence of the Lord and experienced the glory of Jesus Christ. A true disciple of Jesus in chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 wrestles, (laughs) I I wrote a little smiley face by this, he wrestles with eschatology. (laughs) I have to say that because I do. But uh, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, a true follower of Jesus often struggles and fails in ministry. In verse 29, though, he brings his failures to Jesus. And again, in verse 29, we find that one who is a true follower of Christ ought to be a man or a woman of fervent prayer. Mm. You see, the problem they had with not being able to cast out that demon was uh, evidently that they weren't praying. And he, Jesus, said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting or fervent, intense prayer. The uh, uh, In chapter 9 verses 30 through 32, a true disciple of Christ understands the doctrine of the cross. And this is uh, what we talked about when we got to this point where Jesus again told them about his upcoming death and burial and resurrection. And they still did not understand it because they didn't understand Why? They would even need a sacrificing Savior. And uh, so I say that a true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who knows the doctrines of the cross. He doesn't just know the glory of the cross. He knows the doctrines of the cross. And in verses 33 through 37, a true follower of Christ must be humble not seeking status or an exalted position. We have to battle that. And I'll I'll be honest with you, there is no one in the world who has less reason to have pride than me. And yet it's a struggle. I'm constantly wanting to uh, be humble. And as soon as I figure out I've made it, I've lost it, and it's it's just that way, and hum, I mean, pride is such a deceptive thing. Pride can masquerade as humility, and sometimes we think that we need to demand our place, that we need to uh, uh, have people notice us, And that we need to have people boast in us or pat us on the back. And we get offended if that doesn't happen. It's a terrible thing. We've had to deal with uh, some of that recently. and, and, uh, and, And what Jesus says to his followers is this. If you're invited to a feast, don't go to the highest table. Sit at the lowest place, Mm -hmm. right? And then if they invite you (laughs) to go to a higher place, then everybody's going to look at you and say, oh, yeah. But if you go to the highest place and they say, hey, this is reserved for somebody better than you, (laughs) it's a little little humiliating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And we could all stand to be humiliated just like that uh, quite often. But... A true follower of Christ must be humble, not a self-seeking person, not a person who seeks status or an exalted position. Verses 38 through 40. A true follower of Christ must be able to discern who is on the Lord's side. Mm. Verse 41. A follower of Jesus Christ serves Christ by humbly serving others. Mm. Verse forty-two: A follower of Christ is terrified of what sin in his life can do to others. Mm-hmm. Now we talked about this. This is what we preached on last Sunday evening, or yes, yeah, Sunday evening. Whosoever shall offend—the word "offend" doesn't mean uh, necessarily hurt their feelings; it means make them fall into sin. Uh, entrap them, ensnare them, Mm -hmm. cause them to fall out of the way. Mm -hmm. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible thing to think that some sin in my life, some foolishness in my life, some careless thought or word or deed in my life could cause someone to stumble into sin. And we're to be careful about that. A follower of Jesus Christ must, must have that fear of causing someone else to stumble. Not only that, but verses 43 through 48... A follower of Christ is not only terrified about what sin will do to others, he's terrified what sin will do to him. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands (coughs) to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, Offend thee, pluck it out, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, again, we're talking, we're talking about discipleship here. So, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying? to his followers that if, uh, uh, if they've got uh, uh, sin in their lives and they don't pluck it out and, or cut it off and cast it from them, then they'll lose their salvation. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is that we must radically, radically deal with sin in our lives Mm -hmm. and if, if we aren't willing to radically fight sin in our lives, it's possible that there's something serious lacking in us spiritually. Mm -hmm. And it could be salvation. And there were people, as I said last week, there were people under the sound of Jesus' voice right then, even if he were only talking to the twelve disciples. There were people under the sound of his voice that were lost. And this is exactly their fate, that they didn't cut off the sin. They didn't cut off those things that uh, led them uh, into sin and ended up dying and in Hell, where the fire is not quenched, and where their worm dieth not. And so this is a a very serious thing. And then we come to verses 49 and 50. And, uh, and this is where we uh, uh, begin to talk about being a salty Christian. Here in verse 50. Jesus says have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another and so if we're right about this being a discipleship passage and all this is discipleship leading up to here we're finding again that this has to do with discipleship and so let's just look at verse 49 and uh and See what we can glean from it. It says everyone. Now who is he speaking about when he says everyone? He's speaking about everyone who uh, does not go to the place where the fire is not quenched and their worm dieth not. I believe he's speaking about his followers. Everyone of his followers will... uh, Will... uh, become salty. He's going to make them salty. And his salt, he'll salt us with fire. That's what the verse says. For everyone shall be salted with fire. And so the first uh, word that we come to is the word salt. What does Jesus mean by salt? Why is he talking about salt? Being salted by fire. Well, there's uh, several things we can say about salt that will help us understand this passage of scripture, but uh, uh, we already know that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the salt of the earth, did he not? And salt is a preservative. He talked about salt as uh, we are the salt of the earth it's a preservative salt has been uh, humanity's go-to preservative throughout the ages even with numerous advancements in chemical and food science over the years plain table salt is still the most commonly used preservative in the whole world isn't that amazing Salt is a preservative. And so when we say that uh, we are the salt of the earth, when Jesus says we're the salt of the earth, it means that the Christian, the body of Christ, the believers have a preserving effect on society. Society is a decaying thing. I don't know if you've noticed that or our world is uh, uh, full of decay. It's full of wars and rumors of wars and and every kind of sin. And this country that has been the country that has exported the gospel probably uh, more than any other country in history has also exported more moral defilement and decay than any other country in. We export, you know, the kids down in Mexico way back in the 90s when we were living in southern Mexico, the kids would get movies and read the subtitles of the movies and learn English from the movies and you should hear the words they would ask you about. And our country sent that to them and they had no idea how uh, vulgar their words were but uh, and you know they'd ask me and I didn't want to tell them <laughs> just don't say it but uh, but a but Christians when we operate as Christians when we are salty Christians when we operate as In the will of God, and when we witness for Christ and we stand against the moral decay and the scriptural uh, uh, rebellion, the unscriptural rebellion of the world, then it has a preserving effect. Some people may not like it, some people may go off grumbling, but sometimes we slow down the decay, right? And so, Salt is a preservative. Salt, secondly, is an antiseptic. Salt kills the bacteria that causes rot and decay. And then thirdly, salt seasons. It adds flavor. I love it. Salt adds flavor. And if you use it rightly... It brings out and enhances the flavor of food, but uh, I don't use it right. I just like to taste the salt. So I use food as a vehicle for salt intake. But, uh, But salt brings out and enhances the flavor of food. And so when Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. He's saying that we're a preservative. We're an antiseptic. We we fight against the sin, the the bacteria of sin that causes decay, and we season. Uh, we we bring a flavor that would cause men and women, boys and girls, to want to be a Christian. And then also, salt is a sign of God's covenant with Israel. In Leviticus chapter 2, in verse number 13, Jesus, when the Lord is giving the instructions for the grain offering, listen to what he says. And every oblation of thy meat offering, and and here meat offering is a grain offering, every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from the meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. In Numbers 18, Verse 19, all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, I have given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. Second Chronicles 13, five. I didn't know there was this much about salt. Mm -hmm. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? And then one more, Ezekiel chapter 43. 23 through 24. When thou hast made an end of cleansing it, thou shalt offer a young bullock without blemish, And a ram out of the flock without blemish, and thou shalt offer them before the Lord, and the priest shall cast salt upon them, and they shall offer them up for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so uh, this connects these uh, passages of scripture from the Old Testament, connect salt with offerings, with sacrifices. And so uh, when we look at this passage of Scripture again, back in Mark chapter 9 and verse 49, that's Luke. There's Mark. So we see everyone shall be salted with fire disciples will be salted with fire salted preserved purified seasoned with fire so what does he mean by fire then well i think that he's referring to the fact that we are tested fire also purifies Fire also is an uh, a, uh, antiseptic to a certain degree. And fire has a good effect on certain things, on things that are not uh, flammable. But the uh, trials and testings of life, I believe, is how that he salts us how that he prepares us as a sacrifice that is pleasing to him. So let's talk about trials and testings for just a minute. As a matter of fact, let me give you this passage of scripture just so you know that I'm not just pulling this out of the air. Listen to what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11, going down through verse 15, listen to what he says. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, he's talking about our life, our work, our character, what we're doing and the purpose of what we're doing, and the materials with which we're building. He says in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So, every one of our lives, every one of our ministry, our Our service to the Lord is going to be tried and revealed of what sort it is. Not how big it is, not how grand it is, not how many people are following us on social media, not any of that, but what sort it is. And he said, if any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So there is testing. He does give testing. You can call them trials. You can call them uh, storms in our lives. But he does bring these testing times into our lives to purify us and to sanctify us. And to flavor us so that this world can see the sweetness and the purity of Christian faith in our lives. The presence of testing. It comes to everyone, to every person, everyone. He said everyone, everyone shall be salted with fire. Those who are old, those who are young, those who are rich, (coughs) trials come right? Those who are poor, trials come. If you're healthy, trials come. If you're sick, trials come. If you're a man, trials come. If you're a woman, trials come. If you're a child, trials come. Everyone, everyone has trials. I've heard it said like this, that you're either in a trial or you're just coming out of a trial or you're just going into a trial. And that's just about the way life is, isn't it? Sometimes we are in trial. And and so it's not just in uh, in every person, but trials are in every place. And you might say, well, preacher, you don't have to tell me that. I I know that. Well, why is it then when things get really bad, we start talking about moving? (laughs) I'm going to move somewhere else. I'm going to just pack up and, and sell everything and move off somewhere else and leave my troubles behind. But I'm sorry to tell you that on your way to that happy hunting ground or that uh, those green pastures where you're going, you're going to drive by hospitals and cemeteries and funeral homes and orphanages and divorce courts and all those things. Because trials are in every person and they're in every place. You cannot escape the storms and trials of life. And not only do we see the presence of testing, but let's notice the purpose of testing. God has a purpose. He's making us salty Christians. He has a purpose for the trials That he brings. I used to be careful to always say the trials that he allows in our lives. But did you know that God's sovereign? If he didn't want the trial to come, it wouldn't come. He allows the trials. He brings the trials. He gives the trials. Even with Job, it was the devil that brought it up. But it was God that gave the permission and set the limits, and so there is a purpose in God testing us, and that one of the purposes is to purify us. The trials, the fire of trials, as Peter said, that fiery trial in uh, uh, First Peter chapter—was that chapter four? Yeah, let me read that. First Peter chapter four. Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. This is not something that no one else is going through. It's not just you. We think, well, nobody else suffers like me. Oh, yeah, we all do. We all have these trials and hardships. But rejoice, Peter said, inasmuch as ye are partakers of christ 's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy and this is another passage I think art read this morning in chapter one first Peter chapter one, verse seven that the well let me read verse six because I like that I like the way this is worded, wherein ye greatly rejoice he's talking about our our eternal heritage that's reserved for us. He says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. Now, notice that terminology there, how he says that. Your trial is more precious than. The trial of gold. The trial of gold, you know what that's like, right? And I, I don't think I have to spend too much time on it. But when they try gold, or uh, it's tried by fire. And it, the ore that is dug out of the ground is washed. And then it's put in huge vats. And they put the heat to the vats. And it heats up until the gold, which is soft, melts and separates from the rest of the particles of rock, and the slag, the rock, floats to the top. And they skim that slag off and get rid of it and turn the heat up some more. And they keep turning the heat up and skimming the slag off. You know when they know that it's done? When the goldsmith looks in and sees his reflection. Mm -hmm. Think on that a little bit, and this is what's going on in our lives. He's he has a purpose in our sufferings, in our hardships, in this life. He's salting us with fire, and he says, uh, he says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The purpose of God in giving us trials is to purify us. It's to preserve us. It's to cause us to be stronger, to make us persevere In the faith, again, James chapter number 1, verses 2 through 4, where uh, James said that we should count it all joy when we fall into divers temptations or trials or tests. When we fall into divers temptations, we should count that joy knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. that i think i mixed that up with Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and following but uh, but anyway that's it was bible anyway so he he gives us these trials to make us stronger and here here's an important thing and i've said this many times before and you'll remember it but trials prepare us for ministry to serve other people and in that what he's been beating into us here? Isn't that what he has been trying to pour into us? That we serve him by serving others. We love him by loving others. We give him a cup of water when we give it to somebody that just belongs to him. Second Corinthians chapter one, this is familiar scripture to you, I'm sure. But listen to this. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now listen. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Now it doesn't say who getteth us out of all our tribulation. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? Why? that we may be able to comfort them that are in any trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, how can I do that? I don't have a degree in counseling like Jack. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Mm -hmm. In other words, you went through a trial and God didn't get you out of it. He let you go through that trial so that He could bring you through it. And when He brings you through it, He's setting you up for ministry for someone else who's going through something similar Mm -hmm. so that you can serve them. Do you think it's uh, by coincidence that Art and Jean's daughter Stephanie moved into that particular house over in Lucita? And just shortly after she moved in, her neighbor's husband died. And Stephanie's a a widow, a young widow herself. And she had the opportunity to minister to that lady. You think that's by accident? You know who all that helped? That helped the lady that uh, lost her husband and Stephanie too. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling pretty good about it myself. You know what I'm saying? God's doing those things in our lives through fiery trials and testings. He's seasoning us. He, just like that Old Testament sacrifice, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. For In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to the world. This is what what we're talking about. This is the salt not being conformed to the world. This is the seasoning. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and people will see it, and their lives will be changed. So the salt on the sacrifice is the character built into us through trials. And the Lord is salting the living sacrifices of our lives with fire. And then we get to verse 50 and we're just about done. When he says salt is good. So if you're a good salty Christian, that's a good thing. But there's a problem, he says. What if salt, what if the salt loses its saltiness? Now, that is uh, one of those questions that really you can't answer because I, I've tried to do some studying and I, the best I can figure out, salt can't really lose its saltiness. The only things can happen to salt is number one it could be diluted and that would cause it to be less salty but and or it could be contaminated impurity but then if you think about it if uh, if it's diluted if you just set it out in the sun and let it uh, dry when the water evaporates well you got <laughs> you got salt and if it's impure then the salt's going to be reacting most of the time to all those impurities and so i don't know i don't know how to explain that but i do know (coughs) that the point jesus is making is that a christian whether salt can become useless or not a christian or a believer a professing believer can become useless and that is the problem If a believer becomes so contaminated that he ceases to be a preserving, purifying, and seasoning influence on the world where God placed him, then he is no good for a dying world or for God's glory. And then Jesus said, we are to have salt in ourselves by embracing and this is you can preach it your way next time but by the by embracing and enduring and responding correctly and rightly to the trials that he brings in our lives by seeking to be day by day more and more Christ like in our behavior, we can be salty Christians. Instead of trying to get out of trials, just say, Lord, what are you teaching me here? We had a, well, I'm not an example, so I won't use that. Have, uh, he says also, have peace with one another. Love for one another. This is how you have peace with one another. You love one another. You prefer one another. You seek the good of one another. You serve one another. You say, "No, let me. Let me be the servant." No, you got to serve last. No, I want to serve again. Let me serve this time. Taking the lowest place, not trying to fight for the highest place. You have peace with one another by been willing to take the blame. We had a disagreement. Okay, it was my fault. I'll take, I'll take the blame. Will you forgive me? I know we hate to do that, don't you? Man, that, doesn't that just grind on you? Don't insist on your rights. You did this, and I have every right nobody, I believe the angels in heaven would applaud while I walked through the pearly gate if I busted your nose. You deserve it. I have the right. I can do it. And nobody would even say I'm wrong. But you know what I can do? I can say, God bless you, brother. I love you anyway. Don't you hate to do stuff like that? But... If you want to live at peace with others, if you want to have peace one with another, that's that's kind of what you got to do. Not insist on your rights. Well, I hope I didn't mess it up. But just uh, try to help me with it, okay? Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We praise you for your word. Please, please, Lord, help us to take that and live it. I want to say thank you for the trials of life. Thank you that you love us enough that you will purify us. As you said in Hebrews chapter 12, that uh, uh, that's because you love us that you chase us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would... Make us holy. Mm-hmm. Because you said without holiness no one would see the Lord. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.